One Sunday morning, Satan appeared before a small church congregation. When he made his appearance, everybody started screaming and running for the doors in fear, trampling each other in a frantic, frantic effort to get away. Soon everyone was gone except for one elderly gentleman that sat calmly looking straight ahead. Satan walked up to the man and he said, don't you know who I am? The man replied, yep, sure do. Satan asked him, aren't you going to run? Nope. Sure ain't, said the man. Clearly frustrated, Satan asked, well, aren't you afraid of me? The man calmly replied, nope, been married to your sister for over 48 years. (laughs) Oh, there you go. Okay, it has nothing to do with the message. I just thought you liked the joke. All right. If you have your Bible or Bible app, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. Verse number 38, all of today's scriptures and uh, sermon notes are going to be available uh, for you in the Version Bible app if you have that downloaded. If you need help downloading that, just stop by the hub after service and we have instructions uh, for that. We've been in a series this summer, practically all summer, that we've called Set Free. Today is the final message in the series and I would probably say one of the most important messages in this entire Series. I want to show you something today from the Word of God that is truly remarkable. Of of all the principles in the Word of God that have changed my life, this one has probably had the greatest impact on me personally. We have a lot to cover today, so I'm going to go a little bit longer uh, than than we normally do. I know Curtis told me he's hungry, but but Curtis, give me an extra two hours today, okay? Well, you do. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No. (laughs) Uh, Amen. This is a principle that the early church was founded on, and it's a principle, and I'm going to show you this, that it's actually all throughout the Bible, and it greatly affects our anointing, both as individuals and as a church. What God is doing in this church right now is nothing short of a miracle. I I hope you understand that. I'm starting now to get calls uh, even more frequently from other church leaders and pastors. They're wanting to meet with me. They're wanting to talk on the phone because they're basically asking me, what in the world? How are you guys doing what you are doing? And to be honest with you, it has been a very difficult question for me to answer. I know that they're wanting a formula or they're wanting some kind of a, a process. That's, that's what we like. But it's a difficult question for me to answer because the amount, for the amount of people that we reach every week, we are way understaffed. This service right now, right here, is actually a very small part of what we do for our community throughout the week. We don't have the budget that many other churches do, so honestly, I really don't know how to answer the question, because on paper, it doesn't make sense. I can't explain how we are doing what we are doing. I was talking to Lynn about this the other day, and she looked at me, and she said, well, that's easy. Lynn's always got the answers. She said, there's an uncommon anointing of God on this church. And to me, that's the only explanation. It brings me back to Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, which we read two weeks ago. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It is only by the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God is present, there is anointing, there is favor, there is freedom. So today I want to talk to you about the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Two weeks ago, we answered the question, who is the Holy Spirit? If you missed that message, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. We talked about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that happens at salvation. Today, we're going to take it a step further and talk to you about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is God's gift to every believer. These are two separate things, and I'm going to do my best this morning to paint a picture so you, to help you understand this before you leave here today. But like any gift, we have the option to refuse it. God does not force this upon us. He doesn't force any of his gifts upon any of us. But rest assured, know this, Satan does not want you to have this particular gift. So what I have noticed is he sends a spirit of fear to get people afraid because he knows that when a believer receives and accepts this gift from God, they receive power to change this world for the glory of God. Jesus himself told the disciples this in Acts chapter 1. This is what he says, verse 4. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. He said, I've talked, we've talked about this before, guys. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the gift was the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now watch what happens when you receive this gift. Verse 8, these are the words of Jesus himself. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power, he says. Knowing that, Satan doesn't want you to receive this gift. He wants you afraid of it. I'm telling you, the day... I accepted this gift from God, my life radically changed. There was a greater anointing. There was a greater boldness to proclaim the gospel. There was a greater faith that I experienced that I never experienced before. I'm telling you, if it wasn't for this gift, I, would not have, I know I would not have seen the miracles that I have seen because many of them have, caught, have forced me to step out in faith. Jesus said, you will receive power. So let's get started. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. This is our key text for today. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those who are far away. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Father, for the next few moments, I ask that you would give me the mind of Christ. I ask God that you would anoint me, Lord, so that these words that I say are not my own, but these words are from you, God, because your word has the power to change lives. So, Father, unless you anoint me today, these words that I speak will fall flat. They will be pointless but God, if you anoint them, they will be full of power and have that opportunity, God, to transform the lives of your people. So I thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. 
The first four books of the New Testament are known as the Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These first four books, if, if you don't know this, they basically outline the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. The first three of these books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're known as the Synoptic Gospels. This means that they are very similar to one another. I actually shared some of this with you in a previous sermon years ago, so you may remember this. But John, the book of John, is not a synoptic gospel. In fact, if you read John, you'll see it's quite a bit different from the other three. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the birth of Jesus, and then they move almost immediately to after the beheading of John the Baptist, which is the third year of Jesus' ministry. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke primarily cover the third year of Jesus' ministry. Now in 70 AD, the apostle John, who was the last living disciple at that time, realizes that no one has talked about the first two years of Jesus' ministry. And so he writes the book of John covering more of the first two years. This is why you'll see things that are written in John that you won't see written in the other Gospels. Several details are included in John that you won't see in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. So with this thought process in mind, there's not a lot of details that are mentioned in all four Gospels. So if you find something that is repeated in all four Gospels, you better believe it is of great importance and God, it's, a, it's an important detail that God doesn't want you to overlook. So let me tell you what's recorded in all four Gospels. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is in all four Gospels. That's a pretty important detail. That's salvation. Salvation is recorded in all four Gospels. But there's a couple of other topics discussed in all four as well. We also see that water baptism is discussed in all four Gospels. And we also see that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is mentioned in all four Gospels. These three things are mentioned in all four Gospels. Salvation, water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism. Let me prove it to you. Look at this. Matthew chapter 3 verse 11. John the Baptist is speaking. He says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sin and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy to even be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Mark chapter 1 and verse 7, John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 3 and verse 16, John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So we see that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's practically the same account that has been recorded. And John chapter 1 and verse 33, John the Baptist now is speaking still, but he's going to say the same thing with a different slant. Here's what he says. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and rest upon him. He's talking about Jesus. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. 
I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. So John is told, the one you see the Spirit descend on and rest on, he's the one that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John said, I seen this happen to Jesus. When did John witness this event? It's when he baptized Jesus in water. When Jesus was baptized, we read that the heavens were opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. Now I have a question for you. It is clear that Jesus himself was baptized both in water and with the Holy Spirit when he was on this earth. If Jesus needed to be baptized in water, if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to come rest on him while he was on this earth, how much more do you and I? It's not an accident that these three topics, salvation, water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism, are one of the few topics mentioned in all four Gospels. Now let's flip over to the book of Acts and we're going to start bringing this all together. Acts chapter 1, we read a little bit of this earlier. These are the last words of Jesus before he ascends back to heaven. He's died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. He's getting ready to ascend back to heaven. Um, and, he, and he now, as he prepares to, get, to go back to heaven, he gives these closing thoughts to his disciples. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. Once, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water. But in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were there with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Now, I think this is extremely funny right here. You got to understand what they're doing. And you got to kind of compare this to the culture that we've seen a couple years ago. Jesus himself is telling them about this wonderful gift that God wants to give them. And they don't give two cares. They want to talk about politics. They want a political savior. Jesus, he's telling them about this gift, this wonderful gift. And they respond, Jesus, are you going to restore our kingdom? We don't want to hear about the Holy Spirit stuff. You going to fix our country for us, Jesus? We're going to be talking more about that as we get closer to the next presidential election. I believe that God's given me an important word as we get closer to the next election. I'm going to save it for that time. So verse 7, that's what they're asking him. He's telling them about the Holy Spirit, and they're saying, hey, man, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna take our country back for us? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. Basically, guys, don't worry about that stuff. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. Basically, Jesus tells them, guys, get your eyes off of what is temporary and get your eyes on the kingdom. Get your eyes on what is eternal. So Jesus commands his disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for this promise from the Father. Jesus goes on to say that John baptized in water, but in a few days they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father, the gift, was the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that came upon Jesus at his baptism. Now let's read what happened when the promise came. Let's, what, let's read what happened when they received this gift from God, Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound 
from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them in verse 4. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. So we read that on the day of Pentecost, everyone was meeting together in one place, all of the believers. The word Pentecost comes from the Greek word Pentecosti, and it simply means the 50th day. Pentecost means 50. It's 50 days after the Passover. So this was 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's all it means, 50 Unfortunately, because of many, what many of us have seen on TV and seen in church services throughout the years, the word Pentecost and the Holy Spirit have a bad reputation among non-believers. And I completely understand this. I talked about this a couple weeks ago because in over 20 years of ministry, I have personally seen people fabricate strange things that we do not see anywhere in Scripture, and they attribute that to an anointing or a move of God. And I hear people say things like, now this is what we would have seen on the day of Pentecost. I talked about this again a couple weeks ago. Now God can do anything He wants. Anything is possible, and I have seen God move upon people in powerful, strange ways, and it was completely legit, but I want to tell you something. The fruit of it is always a changed life, always. When God radically touches you in that way and does a work in somebody, their life will change, but there have been many times it has not been God. It's been man or woman pushing their own agenda to give the appearance they have a greater anointing so they can book more appointments, they can make more money, or they can just appear better in the eyes of the world. The attention goes off of God and it goes on to them. Guys, I want to tell you, you see a lot of this on TV, you have to be very careful you don't mistake charisma for anointing because they are different. Remember, God said that anointing will not come by might, it will not come by power, but it will come by His Spirit. So it's 50 days after the resurrection. The believers are meeting in one place. Suddenly, a strong wind picks up, fills the house they're meeting in. Then what looked like flames of fire or tongues appeared over every believer. As soon as this happened, we read that everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the immediate evidence of this receiving this gift, the immediate evidence that followed was the fact that they began to speak in other languages. That's what it says. Now, some translations say other tongues. It's the same thing. The word tongues is translated from the Greek word glossa, and it simply means language. I like the language translation better because I think, I feel like it paints a better picture of what is really happening. The word tongues is kind of mystical and it's weird and, and it's difficult to kind of wrap our mind around, but we understand language. And unfortunately, the word tongues has a bad reputation here in America. And it's again because the American church has abused this and simply made it weird. They spoke in other languages, languages they'd not previously learned. That's what it says. Now, look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 2. 
in regards to this, this gift. He says, for if you have the ability to speak in tongues, other languages, you will be talking only to God. Since people won't be able to understand you, you will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. Paul makes it clear, when I speak in tongues or this other language through the Holy Spirit, that this is the Holy Spirit that gives me, we do not speak to men, but we speak directly to God. Now let's jump down a few verses to verses 14 and 15. These two verses I I think will help you understand this, I believe, more than any other verses in the Bible. This, This makes it very, very clear to me. Verse 14, Paul says, For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. This is Paul speaking. Well then, what should I do? I will pray in the Spirit, and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand. Notice Paul said, if I pray in tongues. That means this is a choice. It is your choice. This is never something that should be forced on anyone, and I've seen that as well. It's a choice. He said that if I pray in tongues, now watch this, he says my spirit is praying. He doesn't understand what he's praying because his spirit is now communicating directly to God. This is so clear. These are not my words. These are the words of the greatest apostle that ever lived. Praying in the spirit is like picking up the phone and having God's number pre-programmed in. It's like having a direct line to the creator of the universe. Paul said he prayed in tongues. As a matter of fact, in the same chapter, he says, I pray in tongues more than all of you. He said, I wish all of you prayed in tongues. And he also said, don't forbid anyone to pray in tongues. You see, when I pray normally, this is for me, my experience. I pray only with my understanding, which isn't all that great. Our understanding, our knowledge are limited. But when I pray in the Spirit, I am able to pray the will of God as now I'm directly communicating with Him. For instance, I may get a report that someone is sick, this happens all the time, and they're asking me to pray for them. Now, if I pray with my own understanding, my understanding is very limited. But the Holy Spirit knows exactly what to pray. God knows exactly what is wrong. So when I pray in the Spirit, my prayer has more power because even though I don't understand with my mind, I am praying specifically for the will of God. Now listen, Paul says he's going to pray with both types of prayers. Typically, when I pray for you in person, very rarely... Will I ever pray in the Spirit when I'm praying for you in person? When I pray for you in person, I'll pray just like I'm talking to you now. I don't want to draw undue attention to myself. You can't understand me anyway. So so again, it's all about God. But when I'm alone, I'll tell you this. When I'm alone and I pray for the needs of this church, I pray in the Spirit 99.9% of the time. Sunday mornings, I'm praying in the Spirit 99.9% of the time because God knows exactly what I should be praying. Paul knew the importance of the Holy Spirit. 
Now back to Acts chapter 2. After the Holy Spirit came, Peter stands up and he preaches a powerful message. And he says, what you are witnessing right now was foretold by the prophets. This is the same guy that denied Jesus, the weakling. And he gets up with power now and he preaches this message. He goes, what you're witnessing was foretold by the prophets. You'll see this foretold. When he preached, verse 37 says that the people were convicted. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, brothers, what do we do now? So they're asking Peter, what's next? What is our next step? So the Holy Spirit is working to convince them they need a Savior. We talked about that in, two weeks ago. Look at how Peter responses, responds. Verse 38, which we read to begin, to begin this message. Peter replied, each of you, now watch what he says, must repent of your sins, turn to God, and then be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you, your children, to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. So first Peter tells them, you need to repent of your sins. You need to turn your God, turn to God. This is how you get saved. You repent of your sins. You turn, turn to God. Repentance means a change of mind, a change of direction, to change your mind about who Jesus is. He is Savior. You turn from your life of sin and you start living for God. It is a choice. This is when the indwelling of the Holy Spirit happens that we talked about earlier. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and our need for a Savior. Let me paint a word picture to help you understand the difference between indwelling versus the baptism or the gift. Let's just say there's a young lady. She's sitting in church service just like you are now. She's listening to the Word of God preached just like you are now. Or maybe she's even sitting at home listening to the Word of God. As she is listening, she begins to understand that she has sinned against God and she needs forgiveness. She feels like something is missing in her life. Right in that moment, the Holy Spirit is working to convince her that she needs the Savior. So she decides to take the next step and confess Jesus Christ as her Lord. Once she says yes to Christ, the moment she makes the decision to accept Christ as her Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit moves in, I'm going to prove this to you here in a moment, to now walk with her and help her become more like Jesus. Remember, the Holy Spirit is our helper. This is known as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 confirms this. Here's what it says. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. Spirit, which he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we could praise and glorify him. Paul says in Ephesians that when we believed in Christ at that moment, the Holy Spirit came to dwell inside of us. But this is where most people stop. I have the Holy Spirit, they will say. And according to Scripture, yes, they do. But there is more. Next, after salvation, Peter tells them they need to be baptized in water. Water baptism is our public confession, declares to everyone that we have indeed 
made the decision to follow Christ. When we're lowered into the water, it symbolizes dying to our old self and sin. And then when we come back up out of the water, it symbolizes the new life we have in Jesus. The old person is buried and the new person is now there. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12 says this, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Then... After baptism, Peter says they will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You notice three things happening here? This is the start of the church after Jesus ascended to heaven. Three things happening. Number one, repentance, get saved, salvation. Then number two, water baptism. And then number three, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The same three things that are mentioned in all four Gospels. Now, some people will say that the gift of the Spirit was only for those Christians present that day on the day of Pentecost. But that's not what the Bible says. Look again at verse 39. It says, this promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit is to you, is to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. The promise of the Holy Spirit is still for you and I today. The gift of the Holy Spirit did not end on the day of Pentecost. It started on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is for you. The Holy Spirit is for your children. The Holy Spirit is for your grandchildren. And the Holy Spirit is for your great-grandchildren. Also, some people will say that they received the baptism on the Holy Spirit the day they were saved. Again, that's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Salvation, water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism, three separate events. Turn to Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. Acts chapter 8, we're also going to have it on the screens. Acts chapter 8, Philip goes to Samaria. When he gets to Samaria, he preaches Christ to them. Now watch this. Verse 12, but when they believed, Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, so they believed, Philip's preaching, they believed, the Holy Spirit's drawing them. They were then baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. After seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So Philip preaches... It says they believed, then they were saved, salvation. The Holy Spirit convicted them of their need for a Savior. Then what happened? We read next, they were baptized in water. Do you see that? That's step two. When the apostles heard that Samaria had accepted Christ and were baptized, then what happened? They sent Peter and John. Now, why did they send Peter and John? To pray for them that they might receive what? The Holy Spirit. It says the Spirit had not yet fallen on any of them. That is the baptism. They they had only been baptized in water, so they were saved. Peter and John show up, and and the people then receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So why why would the apostles go and pray for people to receive this specific gift, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, if they had received the baptism the moment they were saved? They're separate events. Now turn to Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. 
when you get a moment, you can go, I'm going through a lot of scripture today, I understand that. But when you get a moment, go, go to Acts chapter 10 and you'll see the Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit. But this is Acts chapter 19, verse 1. It says, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Now, does it say he found unbelievers? It says he found some disciples. He found some believers. And he said to them, he's talking to the believers, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Now, watch what he says. And he said, into what then were you baptized? So he's talking about baptism here. Did you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what he's asking him. They said, no, we didn't realize there was another baptism besides water. They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. Now, what does this mean? John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. This means that they accepted Christ as their Savior. They became believers, so they were saved. Their hearts were right. This is why John would not baptize the Pharisees, because their hearts were not right. His baptism was a symbol of salvation. Now watch this in verse 5. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were baptized in water. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, just like we see in Acts chapter 2. And they begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. There are about 12 men in all. Do you see that? Once again, you see the same three elements. Salvation, water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism. Over and over and over again, they're all separate and distinct from one another. When they received the Holy Spirit, what happened? They begin to speak in another language, their prayer language. That was the evidence that the Holy Spirit had fallen upon them. This was the evidence that they had received the gift. This was the evidence they had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. When we get saved, the Bible says that we become a brand new person. In the eyes of God, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are brand new. Now, you might still walk in sin. You might still struggle with addiction. The old person, the old you is still in there. But in the eyes of God, when he looks at you, you are new. You are covered by the blood of Jesus, covered by the cross. That's the first step. Then we move to the second step. When I get baptized in water, the old person is now cut off. We bury the old person that we're still carrying after salvation. Water baptism is symbolic that the old person you were before salvation is now buried and gone. And then we come to the third step, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon us. Now, in order to get to heaven, you just have to be saved According to the word of God, from what I see, you don't have to be baptized in water. You don't have to be baptized in the spirit to get to heaven. You just have to repent of your sin and accept Christ as your savior. An example of this is the thief on the cross. He got saved. He, was, he said, remember me today when you come into your kingdom. Jesus responded, today you will be with me in paradise as they're hanging on the cross. So he believed in Jesus. He accepted him as Savior. He got saved, but he didn't get water baptism or spirit baptized. I'm sure in that moment, he probably said, hey, could you get me down from here so I can? <laughs> you see, there's many believers that are saved, but they never make the choice to take the next step. They never get baptized in water. 
They, never, they don't seek the spirit baptism. And so the reality is there's lack of power, spiritually speaking. I'm going to give you an example of this here in just a moment. I want to show you one more thing before we wrap this up. To me, this is the most amazing part. I think it's really going to truly bring everything together. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1, because some people argue this is just a New Testament thing, but it's not. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and they passed through the sea. Now watch this, verse 2. And they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, Paul is making a reference here to the Old Testament. When God used Moses to deliver the people out of Israel, in, into Israel out of the hands of the Egyptians. Do you see what he said? He said the people were baptized into Moses baptized into the cloud and baptized in the sea. It's interesting that he uses the word baptize here. So let's break this down. This is amazing. Who was Moses? Moses was the one God sent to deliver the people, to save the people from the Egyptians. That's salvation. Baptized in the sea is what? Baptism in water. Baptized in the cloud is what? If you remember, the people were led by the Spirit of God, by a cloud by day and fire by night, talking about the Holy Spirit. The same three things are listed in the, in the, in the Old Testament. Salvation, water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism. But I'm going to show you one more example, and to me this is the most amazing. I want you to look at this picture. This is a picture of the tabernacle of Moses. The tabernacle, this is the Old Testament, consisted of three parts. It consisted of the outer courtyard, it consisted of the holy place, and then the, the holy of holies, or the most holy place. The most holy place, the holy of holies, is where the presence of God dwelt. The presence of God is where we all want to be. There's nothing like being in the presence of God. The priest could enter the outer court and the holy place, but only the high priest was allowed to enter the most holy place one time a year. Now, to enter the holy place, go ahead and pop that picture back up there, guys. Three things had to happen to enter the holy place. First of all, there was the altar of burnt offerings. They had to make a sacrifice. This is where you would shed the innocent blood of a lamb to atone for your sin. Jesus was known as the Lamb of God. The shedding of blood was the requirement for forgiveness of sin. So this is a picture of salvation right here. That was the first step. The next step, if you look up there, you're going to see what's called a laver they then had to walk from the first step and they had to walk to the laver. And the laver is where the priests would wash with water. Do you see that? They wash with water, water baptism. This was to gain access. Then before entering the holy place, the priest then had to be anointed with oil. Guess what oil is a representation of in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. Are you seeing this? You see, when you're saved, 
when you're baptized in water and when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will receive power, power to witness, power to walk in Christ. This is God's plan for his church, to get people saved, to get them baptized in water, and to get them baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because once you have these three things, you will be filled with power, Jesus said, to be his witnesses. For me, I have experienced a greater boldness to proclaim the gospel. I have experienced a greater faith. The things that you've seen in this church have all been started by faith. I've told you the story of the purchase of our first bus. We could barely pay to keep the lights on at that time, but I had this supernatural faith that God had spoken. I know some people thought I was nuts. Today we have five. I've told you the story of the food pantry that took faith, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I could talk, take you after example, after example, after example of where uncommon faith, power came into place to see the will of God accomplished in my own ministry. I'm going to call the worship team to come on back up at this time, and I want to close with a story. Amen. I know you're hungry, Curtis. You may have heard of the great D.L. Moody, and I've, I've told this story before. When D.L. Moody started pastoring, he pastored a little church in Chicago, Illinois. We today know him as the, if you know him, he was a great preacher, great uh, spiritual man of God. But when he pastored this church in Chicago, Illinois, it was a church that had no power. For years, had no power. One day, two elderly ladies in his church walked up to him and he said, and they said, Pastor, we're praying for you to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He said, well, thank you, but I've already been baptized in the Holy Spirit when I got saved. You see, there it is. There's a confusion between these two separate events. And they looked at him and they said, okay, we're still going to pray. Time and time again, they would walk up to him and say, Pastor, we are praying for you to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. After a while, he started to do some research because there was no power in his ministry. Nobody was getting saved. Not one person. The guy would preach his heart out. Not one person would get saved. Remember, not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. He began to notice the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God as he sat down and he just read the Word of God for what it was. He began to notice this theme, the help of the Holy Spirit. So one night he began to pray that Jesus, would you baptize me with the Holy Spirit? Jesus, would you baptize me with the Holy Spirit? Not some script, not some repetitive thing. He just began to say, Jesus, will you give me the Holy Spirit? Remember, Jesus is the baptizer according to the Bible. And he said, the next thing I knew, it felt like liquid waves of liquid love pouring over me. He said it was different. He said, I can't explain it, but the next week, and I got up and I preached one of the same sermons I preached before, but this time it was different. This time people stood to receive Christ as their Savior, and the Spirit of God moved on him so strongly that he would walk through a factory and workers would fall on their knees and get saved. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. 
It's uncommon. It has nothing to do with you. Every week we are seeing people accept the gift of salvation here in this church. They're taking the first steps. They're getting saved. We do the big events and hundreds of people will stand to get saved. Several people have told me, I've never, Pastor, I've never seen that in my life outside of TV. Let me ask, do you think that's me? That's not me. It has nothing to do with me. I'm a broken poor kid born on the south side of the tracks, man. It's nothing to do with me. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. It changed my life. And that's what the Holy Spirit can do. If you have no power in your life, you need to ask Jesus for the Holy Spirit. This promise isn't just for pastors. It's not just for church leaders. This promise is for you. It's for your children. It's for your grandchildren. But it's your choice. It's your choice. No one will force it upon you. God won't do that. I won't do that. It's something you've got to want. Notice this. The salvation, the water baptism, the Holy Spirit baptism, they're all choices. And that's why God says, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. You want to get close to God? You begin to seek. When I begin to seek these things, I want it closer to God. I want to get closer to God. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to end service today just a bit different.